when we focus on verse 4 of First Peter 4, what we're going to encounter is some pretty significant insights into what happens when Christians change. That is, when unbelievers become Christians and change in their lives. What, what are the dynamics of that change? What are the costs of that change, the nature of that change? And we're going to, we're going to look at it by contrasting how verses are connected with each other or showing how they're connected with each other, verses 3 and 4, and uh, by this list, this remarkable list of debauchery here in, in verse 4. Father, I pray for your help. We want to fully be transformed from the old human way to the new divine way, the way that may bring maligning from others but brings your favor and can ultimately perhaps even win them. I ask for your guidance now and help in Jesus' name. Amen. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. Now, verse 3 here, is connected with the preceding verses, and there's an interesting parallel. We're talking about a way of thinking that arms us so that we cease from sin so as to live the rest of the time, the time that remains after our conversion, the rest of the time in the flesh, not for human passions, but for the will of God. Now watch this. Rest of the time, back to 3, 4, for the time that is past. So now you've got the time that is past, and then conversion, and then the rest of the time. And we're supposed to live the rest of the time by God's will, not human passions. And, and then he says, for, and I think there's a touch of irony here. See if you agree. For the time that is past, all the time you've lived up to the point of your conversion, the time that is past is enough. It's a strange way to say it. Kind of ironic. You, you want to know how much time is enough living in sin? All the time that you lived up till your conversion, you might be seven, and that's enough time <laughs> for living in sin. Or you might be 67 and have spent all your life living the way the Gentiles want to live. And he says, whatever it is, it's enough for doing what the Gentiles want to do. And I just pause there, and I would encourage you to pause and think about this division here. This and this. This means, number one, that there are real 
real converts. Converts. These people once lived this way, and now they live according to the will of God. The second thing I draw out of it is that there are folks, I've met them and have heard them say, well, I'll just sow my wild oats now, and maybe when I'm old and can't have any fun anymore, I'll repent and and go the way of, of God. And I wonder if God might be pleased to use a text like this to say to them, the Bible says that the time that is past is enough for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Stop. God says what you've sinned up to now is enough. So don't do it anymore. So enough to those who say we're going to sell their wild, wild oats. And, and the third thing I see is down here in verse 5 where it says, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So one of the reasons that the time that is past is enough is because if you keep going in this way of living, then you're going to run into the judgment of God. Very few people are able to repent when they're old if they have lived a life like this all their lives. So it is huge to take into account this time versus what we saw here, the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but the will of God. And then comes what you have spent enough time doing. And every time I see a list like this, I ask, is there any sequence to it? Sensuality. What the Gentiles want to do, this is their, this is their bent, their will. Sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Here's a suggestion. Maybe you should stop this video right now and just see if you can ponder any connection between these. One, two, three, four, five, six. Here's my suggestion. Sensuality is um, having a body that is constantly throwing up desires to you and you just give way them. So this is kind of a bodily-oriented, fleshly-oriented existence. And that's a dangerous thing because back in ch chapter, let's see, 4, where is it? 2.11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. And so we're talking about a, a, a wanting to live in a certain way that is going to war against your soul and destroy it. So bodily sensuality giving rise to desires that you give way to, giving rise to bondage to all kinds of things, drink in one case, maybe pornography, maybe laziness, maybe gluttony. So you move from the body to the desires to the stuff that gets a matter of 
addiction, and then other people join you, and you, you start having big orgies and drinking parties, and you, you, you encourage each other in your sin that is so sensual and full of desires and full of bondage to drink in this case, and then terminating on idolatry, which has been explicitly forbidden in the law of God. So I think there is a sequence that Peter sees here and that we would do well to, as it says back in chapter 4, verse 2, arm yourself with the way Christ thought about suffering so that when you suffer in the flesh, you cease from sin and the rest of the time you live not for human passions but for the will of God. With respect to this, they are surprised that you don't join them anymore in this same flood of debauchery, this flood of debauchery. You don't join them anymore in that and they malign you. I want to take that up in another session because the implications of that are huge in a book where we're trying to win people to Christ. And here we are causing them to malign us by changing our lifestyles. But notice this word, surprise. They are surprised when you join, when you don't join them anymore. And just a few verses later in verse 12, it says, we should not be surprised that they are surprised and malign us. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. They are surprised when you don't join them in this lifestyle anymore and they malign you, which becomes part of the fire, the fiery trial. And you are not to be surprised when they are surprised. There is a huge difference between a Christian and the before Christ and the after Christ of the Christian life.